in this meditation practice, we are learning what it means to be wholeheartedly present, to be awake in the very midst of our life. And we, I think, start to see and appreciate, even after just one day of practice, that this is something that takes time. A certain degree of patience is required. That the momentum of our habits and our lives doesn't simply come to an end because we might wish it to do so. And yet at the same time, I think we can see that as we start to engage with our intentionality to be present, we are more able to be connected. We find it is more possible to return and re-establish ourselves this capacity to be touched and to be sensitive to our experience has a gentle but steady gravitational pull for us and that as we give it support it begins to strengthen and it becomes somewhere that we can more and more abide. And in that we have the opportunity to learn what it means to meet and to handle the experiences that come. To be deeply in contact with our bodies can be both supportive and nourishing and at times a little challenging too. And so there's a kind of a kindly supportive attitude that can be very helpful. In a way, we can encourage ourselves. Just, yeah, let's see what's possible here. What happens if I just make contact with this experience? If I come back again right now? So rather than imposing upon ourselves some regime of what should be happening, it's much more an openness to encounter what is happening. Even if that doesn't look like what we thought it should look like, or even what we imagine we've been told it should look like, in terms of the meditation instructions. Because there isn't a something it should look like. It's much more in a way about how we're looking at the experience. Whatever it might be. And within this, learning what's useful for us when it's not easy to meet the experience that comes. And so when the mind is 
perhaps reactive or busy and not easily able to settle. We can sometimes become a little frustrated or critical of ourselves or our minds. And it's really important to be kindly, to not put pressure upon ourselves. It's a little bit like training a puppy. This is, a, I think, a rather useful metaphor. That when we, if we should ever have had a, a young dog to train, there's a need to learn certain things to be able to live in our world. It's different than the wild. To live in a human society, they need to be able to follow, to be able to stop, to be able to listen to the instructions of their owner. And with our mind, it's a little bit like a puppy. You know, if you ever trained a puppy and you put it behind your leg and say, heel, which if you're not from this culture, generally in English means stay here and follow me. The puppy doesn't do that. The puppy runs off. And you maybe grab it and put it back there and say, heel. And it runs off again very quickly, in fact. Now, if when the puppy runs off, you say, you go up to it and sort of say, bad dog, I told you to heal, what are you doing? It doesn't really create an inviting atmosphere for the puppy to come back to. And it maybe thinks, hmm, this, this person's kind of angry. I'm getting out of here as soon as I can. Next time they let go of me. Whereas if, you know, the puppy runs off, and it does, and smell the flowers, water the trees, chasing a butterfly, it's what puppies do. At some point we notice, oh, that's where you are. Huh, come back over here. Come back over here. Oh, oh, you've done that. How interesting. Come back over here. Oh, one of those. Oh my gosh, okay. Sometimes we need to clear it up. But then come back over here. Come back over here. And what happens in that situation is the puppy quite naturally starts to feel the, the friendliness and the care of its owner. And it thinks, oh, this is a nice place, I'll hang out here. I'll stay with this person. And so a relationship is formed in which the puppy can learn and develop. Likewise with our minds. When we see where they've gone, we might sometimes be surprised. But to just say, oh, that's where you went. Oh my gosh, that's what you did. Come back here. And in that kind of an atmosphere it's much more possible for the mind to begin to settle. And even if what we notice is that we become reactive to our minds, even that is just another way the puppy ran away, chasing its own tail in this case. And so again, oh, okay, here we are. No matter what happens, this is always true. We're here. We don't always realize it. Sometimes we've completely forgotten it. But we're always here. There isn't somewhere else we could have gone. And so what we're learning to do is to remember that we're here. It's not that we have to somehow make ourselves be here. Because how could you make yourself be where you already are? It doesn't make sense. And yet to be here wholeheartedly. To really make the conscious choice to relinquish 
all the other things we could be fascinated by, entertained with or find useful to be engaged with. That we make a conscious intention to let go of the past when we engage in the meditation practice. The past is gone. We can't change it. Sure, we can learn from it. But here we're invited to learn from the immediacy of things. And likewise the future. It'll show up eventually in some shape or form, but right now it doesn't exist. What's here is this that's happening right now. And being quite wholehearted in our intention to be present in this moment, to this experience. And within this, those experiences that are challenging for us, and equally those that we might find enjoyable or attractive. We can simply meet them. One area of experience that arises for us is physical pain, sometimes sitting in the meditation. And our bodies aren't necessarily used to sitting still for so long. Our reaction to pain, it's not always because we're sitting still. It can have many reasons to do with posture, but equally to do with places of holding in our body. Patterns of contraction and tension that may be opening and therefore we encounter the the pain that's held within them. So pain in itself isn't necessarily always something that shouldn't be happening. Sometimes it's part of the healing process, the opening process. But without necessarily always needing to know what or where the pain may arise from, if we notice there's something uncomfortable, we can take our attention to that experience and see what it's like to befriend the experience. Our habit is often to contract. And to see that it's also possible for us to relax with, to open to and around such experiences. And the breathing can be a really helpful resource for this. As we breathe out, there's a natural quality of relaxation expressed in that releasing of the breath. And that quality of relaxing and releasing, if we if we take our attention to an area of pain or contraction as we breathe out. And as if we were, in a way, breathing out into that area of our body, our knee or our shoulder, our back or our, wherever it might be. Not trying to make the experience go away, but seeing if we can relax around it, give it space, not put it under pressure. And often that is what allows it to do whatever it is that it needs to do. Having permission, as we've said, to move if we really need to move our posture in some way to adjust. But at the same time having a a kindly and yet courageous attitude to see what it's like to meet the experience, if that's something that's possible for us. And if it feels like it's too much, that's okay. We can adjust or move our attention away to some other part of our body. 
being aware with pain and discomfort that often it's the thought of enduring it that's hardest for us. What if it keeps going like this? What if it gets worse? And within moments we have the image perhaps of the ambulance pulling up at Gaia House and we're being sort of carried off on the stretcher, you know, knee to be uh, never working again as a result of what were just some uncomfortable sensations. And it's that fear of the future that comes in so many ways. To see, can I be with this right now? And if in the next moment it's too much, sure, I can do something about that. But often in this moment it's okay. And just as a, a marker of that, certainly with any of the, the joints, particularly knees, um, but can be elsewhere in the body, if when you change your posture the pain goes away, just two, three minutes or less, it's probably going to be fine. It's probably not doing any harm. If, however, when you change your posture you find the pain continues and you're hobbling all the way through the next walking period, that's probably not such a good idea. It's not necessarily doing some damage, but I don't think you need to push it that hard. So there's just a, it's kind of a simple rule of thumb. If it shifts quite easily and quickly, it's probably not dangerous. And if it's something that continues a lot, you might want to just put a little less pressure on that place by alternating your posture, maybe using a chair or a bench instead of sitting cross-legged. And just see what's useful, what works. And as we become more established in the meditation, also having the intention to really follow the fullness of our experience. So with the breathing, in the body, noticing the full breath from where the air enters our body and our body expands. lifts, opens as we breathe in right through to the end of the in-breath we may notice there's a pause and then the body breathes out and following that whole experience as the body softens, drops relaxes, releases Just a simple experience, breathing, not that exciting we might imagine or think until we might have occasion to contemplate whether there'll be another. Because this breath isn't forever. This life isn't forever. And as we breathe in and breathe out, we're tuning in to the very sensitivity, the very immediacy of our existence that depends upon another breath. One day the out-breath will go out and there just won't be another in-breath. And we probably won't know when that breath goes out 
that it was the last one. Not saying we need to be waiting, sort of, sort of some mild degree of anxiety for the next breath. Oh my gosh, will there be another one? But it just kind of changes the attitude to breathing a little bit when we don't take it entirely for granted. And we can really then perhaps receive the miracle of this body breathing with more appreciation. How fortunate we are that it continues to do so for now. And in that breathing, just being aware of not intentionally trying to do anything with it, not trying to make the breaths have any kind of effect upon us, such as making something go away or change. So allowing it to be as natural and as organic as we're able to be. And also being aware of how we respond to what we might experience as distractions or obstacles. Things that seem to take our attention away. Or that give rise to reactivity within us. If we can notice these experiences too. Without making them good or bad, right or wrong but just noticing that, oh yes, this happens. And that this happens for us all in different ways. So we can include the experience of the sounds that come and go. Some pleasant, some unpleasant. Some welcome, some unwelcome. Being aware of sounds we might ourselves generate. And so far as we're able to be quiet, doing so in support of the silence. And so far as we're aware of the sounds that others generate. Just to see what's possible in terms of our own inner quietitude. To be at peace with the way things are. This is possible for us.
this human body, just sitting here, being known as it is. Bottom on the earth, body upright, alert, and yet relaxed. Establishing ourselves in a kindly and caring attentiveness to what is right here. This body sitting, breathing in, breathing out. Again and again, coming back to this simple immediacy. This open awareness that knows what's happening effortlessly. being present in this way, just as you are.
beginning again, right where you are, reconnecting. This body sitting here, breathing, just as it is. Moment by moment, breath by breath. Embodying a wakeful presence. again and again, coming back to this.
when you hear the sound of the bell. Just receiving that experience mindfully, listening as the sound arises, continues for a little while and then fades away. And only when the sound is faded into the silence, regarding this as the completion of the formal meditation period. And so listening fully, wholeheartedly, So I just have a couple of practical things to mention and then Leela will speak a little more about the walking meditation practice. I mentioned yesterday about the the group meetings that will be happening and we'll begin this morning in the walking period before lunch for some of you and there will be also some this afternoon and then continuing tomorrow so Over the next two days we'll meet with all of you in small groups and we'll post the list of groups and the times and places we'll be meeting with you in the next walking period. So please check when you come into the sitting to find where you are in that that process and uh, particularly so those of you who will have a group after the next sitting will know that that's the case and be able to, to come along for that. 
Also, we've received one or two notes which didn't have anyone's name at the bottom of them, so it's a little hard for us to respond in that case. And we just ask that if you if you write us a note, whatever it might be for, that you just put your name on it, and then we can actually respond to you. And that's uh, yeah, we appreciate that. Thank you. meditation it's funny sometimes how we can make the most natural of things we here who actually are blessed to have uh, our bodies working enough that we can move about um, that we make it sometimes something complicated we can get a little bit stiff and controlling, as if we're doing some kind of um, serious exercise. Uh, sometimes when I've done walking meditation in the past, I've caught myself feeling a little bit like a stick figure, and the kind of legs go out and one step forward, and it's all kind of controlled. Rather than composed, it's controlled. But the body is alive and, and soft. It's, it's, not, it's not a stick figure. Uh, we don't need to do the walking. The walking has become something that's integrated in us. Once upon a time, uh, we really had to train to walk. And if you see a little child learning to walk, it's exhilarating when the whole thing starts to come together. It's power, it's capacity, you can move about and do things in life. And so, in the walking meditation, to allow the body to be soft, so we let the object of the meditation, if you like, Shift from the experience of breathing in a way sinking downwards to fill out into the legs with presence and contactfulness. So we can sense the legs and particularly the feet. And we can let the feet soften and spread out on the earth. And that's easier felt barefoot, but it works well in sandals and shoes as well. Just allow the foot to spread out on the earth to have that sense of contact and to see that moving is not angular it's actually full of soft complexity of moving and of course there are arms so sometimes it actually feels very nice to be very still and the hands may come together in some fashion but at times you may feel that you're more fluid And so the hands and arms can also be part of the moving. And experiment a bit with that. See what that's like for you. 
So with this sinking down movement of allowing oneself to go from the head trying to do it, the experience can become a little bit more instinctual. And that's actually helpful to allow oneself to feel that actually we're earthly creatures. And it's not so much that we move on top of the earth, although it's helpful that there is this wonderful thing called gravity that keeps us here so we don't float off into space. So that's a good and nice thing, that we actually can move on the surface of the earth. But actually we're also moving in the earth because we're not separate from. We're actually moving within the biosphere and we are fruits of the earth. This is what everything that is us has come from. And so the more we can relax into that and allow this experience of moving to be the organic and natural phenomena it is, rather than some kind of aligned regime or some kind of mental asylum where people walk way too slow for for uh, for it to look reasonable and good just to see for yourself how the slowing down can be a way of really savoring the moment really opening the senses and really re-experiencing that novelty of walking so rather than it being dampened or boring or shut down or controlled it can open up like when you smell a wonderful fragrance to really be there for the moment and to stay and so it requires that little effort that we do need the puppy training of just staying so letting body and joint soften And it's helpful because when we walk, our eyes are involved in the process. And there are many, many things to look at in the world. We look at each other and everybody else looks like they're really knowing what they're doing. There they go and they look perfectly serene, but I'm not. And we look at flowers, we get a bit bored, what was that sound? And actually, if we can allow the eyes to relax too, so we stay at home within the body, the impulse often is to go out, to meet and make contact, but see if colors and sights and movement can come and touch the eyes. To come for the light of the outdoors, if you're walking outside, to come and touch you. See if the eyes can relax. What's it like if the eyes relax? You can try now. Let's see. So it doesn't mean the eyes close, just to relax them. It's a little bit like allowing a softer focus. And that will actually support the walking, to bring in the whole of the body, but using the contact of the earth and the movement as the anchor for presence as the anchor for mindfulness. So let's explore some. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org.
www.ghostbusters.org slash donate.